0: For the next several weeks, we'll be walking verse by verse through this book and seeing what the Lord has for us. There are so many amazing truths, like I'm pumped to teach this book to you, but before we dive into the text, we do need to do a little bit of background work to understand where we're at and what it is that we're talking about. This is, again, a letter written from the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae. Apostle Paul, you remember, was actually, before he met Christ, an enemy of this movement called Christianity, was murdering Christians when Jesus' met him on the Damascus road and changed his life forever and a guy who was once murdering Christians is now leading people to Christ and starting churches that's what he does really he was the first church planter So so we have the Apostle Paul writing this letter to the church in Colossae. Colossae is in what would be modern-day Turkey. The city doesn't actually exist anymore. In fact, it's a beautiful. I had the opportunity just this past week to see for myself the beautiful green rolling hills, grass blowing in the wind, the site where Colossae actually existed. Y'all, it was absolutely phenomenal. I wasn't actually there. I was watching it on YouTube. But 2022 is pretty amazing, isn't it? It was awesome, and I was just thinking, wow, I can't believe this is where Colossae actually was. It's never been excavated. They, they assumed that if they were to start tearing down into what is a beautiful, lush, green hill, that they would find all kinds of artifacts. They found a few there, but they've not actually dug this site out. So Colossae doesn't exist today, but at the time of this letter, obviously it did but it was already heading towards non-existence. Here's why. At one point in time, the main road went by Colossae. So Colossae was a happening town, a cultural center, a place of influence and prominence in the world, commerce and trade, and, and they were just a happening place. But then what happened is the, the Roman roads were built, they ended up going around Colossae. So Colossae diminished while towns like Heropolis and Laodicea, which you may remember that name from the book of Revelation. Those towns grew so Colasse was kind of like Radiator Springs when the interstate came in they got bypassed so they just like 4 feet. Pixar you're fine uh, I've watched okay I gotta tell y'all this some of you I'm gonna lose you on this I watched the movie Cars for the first time three weeks ago while I was writing this message. So some of you just think, wow, he loves cars. No, it just happened as I was watching it. But, but this is what happened. So the, they, they are bypassed, so their town is still there, but it's not what it used to be. They've lost some of their influence. They've lost some of their cultural cachet. They are not quite who they were. But it's still a town, it still exists, it's a sizable population, Is actually Gentile, meaning they have, are not of Jewish, Jewish ethnicity or religious background. But there was also a pretty good chunk of Jewish believers there as well. So you have a, a group of Gentiles predominantly, but also some Jews, and it's into this that the Lord starts a movement. Now, Colossians is interesting to me personally because this is one of the few places where we saw, see Paul writing a letter to a group of people he's never met. Like a ton of the other letters of Paul, he's like, hey, remember when I helped start your church? Let me write you a letter to see how it's going. He had never actually met the people in Colossae, had never been to Colossae and to the church there. Instead, their pastor was a guy by the name of Epaphras. Epaphras, we we believe, might have been saved under Paul's ministry in Ephesus. So then he did what, if you remember our message from last week, you come and see Jesus, you experience Jesus, but then you go and tell. So Epaphras is saved, he goes home to Colossae, starts telling people about this Jesus, starts telling people about the good news, the gospel. So people are saved and all of a sudden out of where there was once nothing, now you have a church in Colossae and Epaphras is the pastor. By the way, that's what a church is. A church is not when like some sort of spiritual entrepreneur sets up a building and starts doing services. That's not what church is. Church is when a gathering of saints come together to worship Jesus. How did the Lord say it himself? Where two or three are gathered, there I am also. When the saints come together, church happens. And that's what you had here in Colossae, a group of new believers from wildly different backgrounds. So here's the thing. You can imagine the baggage that all these people would bring to their church. Like, did you know that you bring baggage to church? Some of you quite literally. We have four kids. My wife looks like she's, you know, carting all kinds of stuff in here when we come to church, right? But but we also bring other types of baggage when we come to church. So this church was no different. You've got first these Jewish believers who brought their kind of Jewish idea of what faith should look like. Today we would call that legalism. So all these Old Testament laws, do this, don't do that, don't do this, you better do this, and if you don't do all of these laws, talking like 700 of them by the way, if you don't fulfill all these perfectly, then God will not be happy with you. If you break one of these, you better sacrifice a goat or something like that because you are not right with God. So they bring that in, God has saved them from that, yet they still carry some of that with them. And then you have these Gentiles coming from a Greek mindset, this philosophical mindset that was really kind of all over the map. It would eventually blossom into what a scholars call Gnosticism. And it was the idea primarily that everything in this material world is really just evil. So we need to just rise above this. We need to somehow intellectually ascend above all of this material world. So that was kind of the Greek philosophical view. So you understand how when this church came together, and brought all of their religious and philosophical baggage to the table, they were a little bit confused. Some of you are confused right now over just what I said over the last four or five minutes. Like you can see how this church would be like, wow, who are we? What is this really supposed to look like? So Epaphras was concerned enough about this that he goes to where Paul is, which we believe was Rome, some 1,000 miles away, like 1,000 miles away is difficult now in a car, but back then it was even more insane. So, so they go to Rome, Epaphras goes and he brings these concerns to Paul, but he also shares all the really cool things God is doing in the church in Colossae. Paul not only encourages this new pastor, but also stops down and writes a letter to this church that he has never met before. One more thing I want to say, and then we'll dive into the text. We, we don't exactly know the nature of this false teaching because we weren't there. Like you can find some very confident pastors and some very com- confident commentators who will tell you exactly what the false teaching was. And I want to just tell you that they are either making it up or quoting somebody who was making it up because we weren't there. And the text doesn't tell us, but here's why I want to share that with you. I share that with you because I love Paul's approach when it comes to false teaching. Paul was a a Pharisee of Pharisees, according to him and others. Paul was an expert, basically religious lawyer. If there was anybody who was equipped to say, oh, Gnosticism, let me tell you why that's dumb. Paul was your guy. But Paul never does that in any of his letters. But you know what Paul's going to do to counter false teaching? He's just going to elevate Christ. He's going to preach the gospel. He is going to put Jesus over everything. And it's like that song we sang a couple weeks ago. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth, including false teaching of all stripes, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I understand why they didn't put that line about all stripes of false teaching. That would be weird to sing that. So with all of this information, let's dive into the introduction to this letter and then we'll pray and ask for the Lord's help as we read that together. Just if you're a guest, let me tell you that we are a Bible teaching and preaching church and it doesn't usually take us this long to get to the text, but I wanted us to know what it is we're reading before we started reading today. Verse 1 of Colossians chapter 1, the word of the Lord says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother... To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel Lord, it is my prayer that today we would very clearly see your truth in a way that challenges us and changes us and makes us who it is you want us to be. God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you impress the gospel on us in such a way that it causes us to be people who are growing in you. We love you and we thank you for what you're going to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So Paul starts in the first two verses with his kind of common greeting that you have are familiar with if you have a church background and have read some of the other letters of Paul. And then he begins in these first eight verses, what could almost be seen as like a diplomatic introduction, kind of like a how's your mama in them type of statement. Like, oh man, I love your pastor Epaphras. He's a good dude. I'm always praying for you guys. I'm so excited about the work that God is doing there. And, and while there probably is some of that in play here, there is a huge truth here that I, I think. We really need to stop and ponder today as we kick off this series. And here's the big truth for today's message the gospel develops a growing faith and growing love in believers. The gospel develops a growing faith and growing love in believers. It's interesting to me when you read this text because kind of this truth is built almost in reverse. It starts in verse 7 where it says, hey, you've got Epaphras. He is a faithful minister and a faithful pastor. Why is he a faithful pastor? Because in verses 5 and 6, he is proclaiming the gospel to you. He is giving you the truth of the gospel so that you can be saved. And then in verses 3 and 4, because of Epaphras faithfully teaching the gospel to you, you are growing in your faith and you are growing in love. So let's walk through this in light of this truth. We'll look at the text and see how we build this statement. So first, if we're going to be people who are growing in faith and growing in love, it starts in this text by knowing the gospel. You have to know the gospel. The gospel is the news that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for your sins so that you might have life. Verse 5 calls it, "...the hope laid up for you in heaven." this word of truth, and then it just calls it what it is, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what we believe, church. We believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, came to this world, and lived a perfect life. He never did anything outside of the will of his Father. Yet the Bible says that as he hung on the cross... The wrath of God, the punishment that you and I deserve, in fact, that all humanity, past, present, and future deserves because of our sin, was poured out upon Christ. And Christ died on that cross, taking sin and death with him to the grave. But what we celebrated just last week is that three days later, God raised him from the dead, victorious over sin and death, so that you and I might have life. So so here's how your story becomes the gospel story. The Bible says that you and everybody else in the world was created by God to worship him and enjoy him forever. You were created by God to have a relationship with him. But somewhere along the way, the Bible says that every single human born on this earth other than Christ has sinned. And our sin separates us from God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, spiritual death and eventually literal death, that we are separated from this God who created us to have a relationship with him. The Old Testament is really the story of God's people trying to repair this relationship. Like, what can we do to fix this? And time and time again, they try and they fail. But the Bible says God loved us enough that he sent Jesus. And when Jesus died on the cross, he makes us right with God. Today, you need to know that this gospel is not just religious information. Uh, The gospel is not just theological truth. The gospel is not just a religious ritual. The gospel is not a subscription service, like you got to show up at church and give and then you're in. No, the gospel of Jesus Christ is personal, friends. Like Jesus died for you. Jesus rose again for you so that you might have new life through him. So the call is today to to respond to the gospel in a real personal way. Have you ever accepted the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, this gift that he gives us? Jesus really saves today. And if you don't know him, some of you, like you came on Easter, and then you're like, hey, I'm gonna try that church thing again. Well, here you are, and Jesus is giving you another opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel. I pray that you would know him today if you don't, that you would surrender your life to him. All you have to do is surrender, accept the gift that he has given. But this gospel, this good news, is not just a one time transaction. It's not like you get saved and then bam, you're all of a sudden a mature follower, disciple of Christ. That would make my job a lot easier if that's how it worked. In fact, it would make my life a lot easier if that's how it worked. But that's not how it works, is it? The way we say it at Crossroad, I hope you remember this. I've said it a billion times. The same gospel that saves you is the gospel that grows you. So this gospel that saves is also the gospel that grows. So we see in this text not only a call to know the gospel, but a call to grow in the gospel. Verse 6 says it this way, that this gospel has come to you. And then it says, in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. And then note this, as it is among you. So, So the gospel is growing on a couple of different levels according to the word of God here. First, it's growing in the reality that People are getting saved. Man, aren't you thankful for that, that the gospel is growing today? Like, like this isn't just a stop in Colossians, you know, I'm thankful that God is still saving, that that in our world today, every single moment of every single day, we have a heavenly Father who is in the business of revealing himself to people through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, illuminating and opening eyes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a God who speaks and reveals himself to people, and people are being saved today, not only around the world, but right here in our church, we celebrated that with baptism today. Aren't you thankful for that? We ought to be, but not only are are people being saved, in fact, I would just say, man, we want to pray that more would be saved in our community, but also Paul says that this gospel is bearing fruit among you, so these are people who are already saved, so he said the gospel is increasing and bearing fruit, and that means people are coming to Christ around the world, but also it's happening in you, the church people, who are already saved, the saints. This verb, the tense of it, indicates a continual growth. The gospel that came to save you should be causing you to be in a state of continual growth today, bearing fruit in your life every single day. Is that true for you? In our series in the fall, we walked through Titus, and and Titus got extremely practical. Like We we talked about some truths that that we need to take in our lives, some sins that we need to let go of, but we also talked about some things that we need to do that we're not doing, some fruit we need to add to our lives, some virtues that the word would call us to develop through the strength of the gospel. But what we're doing today is really taking a step back from that and talking at a really base level about what it is that gospel growth looks like. And that's where verse 3 comes into play, where Paul specifically outlines areas of growth in the Colossian church. I can just tell you guys that as a pastor, I can almost just hear the conversation that Epaphras has with Paul. Because Epaphras, man, he's pumped. He's sharing with Paul everything that God's doing in their church. And he's talking about all the good things Yeah, There are some concerns, and he wants to talk about those. But, man, I'm just excited about what God is doing. Can I tell you that when people ask me about Crossroad Church, I I feel like Epaphras. I'm just saying like, man, everything's not perfect, but, but we love the Lord and God is doing a work in us. He's doing a work through us. There's some amazing things that we're able to do as a church together. There are lives that are being transformed and I get pumped up and excited to talk about what God's doing in Crossroad Church. I believe Epaphras was the same way as he hung out with Paul and talked about what God was doing in the Colossian church. So as he's having this conversation, Paul seizes on a couple of the things, two areas of growth that he highlights in his letter back to them. And I think these are worth our consideration today. First, he talks about their growing faith. As Paul talks about the gospel bearing fruit in the lives of the church, the first area he mentions is their faith in Jesus Christ. The Colossians had a growing faith. Did you know that your faith can grow? Like, some of you, if you're like me, maybe some alarm bells are going off right now, and you're like, oh, this sounds a little bit weird. But because there's all this kind of weird, like, wonky teaching about, like, if you get, uh, you know, all the the faith, if you grow your faith enough, you can do some miracles or receive some miracles. I'm not talking about any weird, like, wealth, health, prosperity, gospel-type stuff here. But what I'm saying is that God can grow your faith today in a way that causes you to live today like you didn't live tomorrow. When I talk about a growing faith, I'm talking about growing spiritually. Growing spiritually. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, I did this successfully in the first service. Now it's going to take me 10 minutes to get there. Here we go. 2 Peter 3, verse 18. This is like the sentence before the last sentence of the letter. So Peter is writing this letter. Here's what he's the parting words to the church. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here's the, here's the thing, guys. As soon as you are saved, the Bible says that you are born again. Now, some of you are like, well, that's very Baptist of you, Rusty. Yeah, okay, guys. Well, first of all, I are one. Second of all... That's not Baptist of me, that's Jesus of me. Jesus uses that phrase in John chapter 3, and he says, you must be born again to Nicodemus. And then the Bible is going to kind of like carry out this language that when we are born, you are like little Miss Barbara over here. You are literally an infant in Christ. The Bible calls you a spiritual newborn, and it says that you should long for the spiritual milk so that you can grow up and eventually be into solid things. Like Barbara and I aren't real good friends yet, but once Barbara is able to eat M&Ms, we're going to be good friends. When she's ready to eat solid things, we're going to be tight. But right now, she's not ready for that. In the same way, spiritually... The fact of the matter is, you and I, when we first start, we need the spiritual milk that helps us grow up so eventually we can handle the solid things of the faith. So the Bible talks about us becoming a new creation. Some of you didn't realize this. Some of you thought like when you got saved, that it's just like you plus Jesus is a leveled up person. No, you know what the Bible says about your salvation? That the old you dies and the new you is risen to walk in new life. You become a brand new creation. The tragedy today is that the Word of God's going to say this in Hebrews and Second Peter. It's going to call out the church and say, "Hey, at some point you should grow up." <laughs> like, but you haven't yet. Like the, this process of growing in Christ has stalled for so many people. We're not growing in our faith anymore. I think a lot of churches are full of like the E-Trade baby. Do you remember the E-Trade baby? Like dating myself here. But we're just like a bunch of walking, talking, spiritual babies who have never matured in Christ. But listen to me, you ought to be growing in Christ until the day you stand before Christ in eternity. Like if you feel like you've gotten to a place where you've arrived and you're fully where you need to get, then can I tell you, you've got some pride you need to deal with back to square one, Right? If you're not dead, God's not done working in you. This is what theologians call progressive sanctification. You're being sanctified. That word sanctified just means being made holy, becoming more like Christ. So sanctification means the process of becoming more like Jesus. And progressive means that you're not there yet, but every single day as we follow Jesus, we become more and more like him. How does that happen? It happens from the nourishment that comes from the word of God. If we want to have a growing faith, it means that we need to get into the word of God, the bread of life, the solid things of the faith. By the way, I think it's worth noting that this requires both grace and knowledge, according to Peter in 2 Peter 3.18. Grow in the knowledge and grace of Christ Jesus. I think churches tend to be one or the other, and that's dangerous. Some churches are, are what I would call learning churches. Like, everybody's got their notebook and pen out. By the way, I love it when you take notes, so I'm not hating on that. But it's like, man, we're going to really dive into the theology of things. We're really going to get all truthy over here. We're going to figure out the truth. We're going to know the Bible backward and forward. We're going to know the truth. That's what we're all about here. And if you're not careful, this can lead to a bunch of religious jerks. Don't look at them if they're sitting next to you, all right? But on the other end, what's happened, because this is a reality, people have run over to this side. And when they run over to this side, they're like, you know what, we just don't worry about all that stuff. We don't worry about, you know, all that theology and all that kind of stuff. We're just going to be like Jesus and love people and have grace. And what I need to tell you is that those are both ditches to be avoided. Growing faith means that by God's grace, we are able to know him more through his word. And when we know him more through his word, we're able to share that with others. Growing in knowledge and grace means that we come and we feast on the bread of life the word of God, and by his grace, we're able to understand it and take it in and make it part of us so that we can then go and share it. But again, if you're in this ditch over here, can I tell you what we end up doing? All we do is just analyze the bread. We just say, I wonder what's in this. It's like my granny when somebody else makes biscuits. What'd they put in here? Is this gluten-free? Is this locally sourced ground flour? Let's really just think about what is in this bread. Let's cut it open. Let's talk about it. But they never feast on the word of God. Instead, they just analyze it like it's a cold, detached thing. But again, over in this ditch, we're just like throwing little Debbie cakes out to everybody. And every all the Christians are just getting spiritually fat and lazy. I know I'm just like shooting shots today. I'm sorry, guys. But here's the call is to come and feast on the bread of life. And don't just know about it, but but take and eat. Think of John in the book of Revelation where he's like, hey, eat this scroll, right? Like literally take in the word of God so it becomes a part of you so that it is then being shared with everyone you encounter. The only way that's going to happen, friends, is with the help of Jesus. Only then can we grow in our faith by growing in knowledge and grace. So here at Crossroad, we we love us some good theology. We just talked about progressive sanctification on a Sunday morning. That doesn't happen in a lot of churches. But we do that because we want you to be progressively sanctified so that you can share Jesus with others. The only reason we're able to grow is by the grace of Jesus. And as we study his word, as we apply it to our lives, as we walk with him day after day, as we trust him through trying circumstances, we see that he is faithful and we grow in our faith when we experience some of those mountaintop moments in life and then we come back down the mountain, we see that God was faithful and we grow in our faith. And we just look back and see in our lives how God has worked and worked and worked and we grow in our faith. I think of that old hymn, "'Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus." It says, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Yeah, you know, I love the confidence of that song. It's like, yeah, I trust Jesus. Like, like Jesus has proved himself faithful time and time again. I trust him so much. And then that prayer, the last line, oh, but give me tr- grace to trust him more. Do you feel that way sometimes? You're thankful that we have a God who answers that prayer and gives us a growing faith. Not only does Paul commend their growing faith, but we see Paul also pointing to their growing love. Look at verse 4. It says, The love that you have for all the saints. We've heard of your faith and also the love that you have for the saints. Now, I want to tell you the Bible very clearly calls us as Christ followers to love our neighbor and to love the lost and to love people who are far from Christ. Like, that is a biblical teaching that happens all over the Bible, and Christians ought to consider that more often than they do. But that's not what this passage is talking about. This passage is talking about the love that you and I are called to have for one another in the church. And this lines up with a lot of the New Testament teaching. In fact, here's what the Bible's going to say very consistently. If you want the world to know you belong to Jesus, if we want cross the, the Wichita area to know that Crossroad belongs to Jesus, we don't do it by having a cool building and a great organization that's big. Well, we don't do it by having really cool mission projects that are reaching out in our community and doing cool things to help people. Uh, we don't do it by having an amazing big worship service. All those things are well and good, but here's what the Bible says people will know you belong to Jesus. By the way, this isn't rusty, this is Jesus talking in John 13. By this, all the world will know that you are my disciples, your love for one another. Isn't that wild? Like this is how the world will see that we love Jesus by the way we love each other. Like the church ought to love one another in such a way that the world sees the ridiculous love we have for Jesus and each other and says, that is real. That cannot be manufactured by any kind of organization. That is not, that. this is only something that God could do. Those people know Jesus church we need to have a growing love for one another and in a church our size let's just be real that's hard like and we're not we're not even a mega church right like we're just like a few hundred people who love Jesus and are trying to do this but even in a church our size it is hard to actually get to know each other and it takes intentionality to develop spiritual friendships we need to work to really become brothers and sisters in Christ and be a spiritual family. Did you know that you can't grow in love for one another by sitting in the same room for an hour a week together? That's just not how, now I get it, you, you watch a young couple on a date today, that's kind of what they do. Because they're just looking at their phones instead of talking to each other. But that's a commentary for another time, isn't it? But the fact is, we're not going to grow closer to one another by, by just you know, sitting in here together. It takes really knowing each other to really love each other. This is why serving becomes important. This is why we always talk about being in a life group, getting involved in discipleship, finding some sort of way to connect on a deeper level. So so the idea is like, don't just come to Crossroad, but be a part of Crossroad. And listen, hear my heart, please, please, please hear my heart. This is not because like we're a big machine and we need more people to work and serve so we can help the big machine keep growing. Like y'all know I've been trying to burn down the cruise ship since I got here. Like, we are not a cruise ship that's just all these luxuries, like, come and be served. No, we want to be what we talked about back in the fall. We don't want to be a cruise ship. We're an aircraft carrier where the people of God come in, and instead of saying, serve me, we say, how can we serve so that we can come, we can be equipped, we can grow in our faith, we can really love each other, so that then we can be sent out into every nook and cranny of Wichita and beyond with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's who we want to be. So the reason we call you to kind of serve and find somewhere is really less about the service and more about the relationships that are developed in that service. It's not so we can say, hey, look, we've got a great life group to Sunday morning attendance ratio. I don't know who talks like that, but anyways, like that's not what we're all about. Rick's helping with life groups. That wasn't you, brother. I just want to say, like, like that's not what we're about, but we know that to really grow in your faith, you need to be growing in your love for the saints, so we want to give you ways to do that. And sometimes that's just as simple as serving on the, the hospitality team, and that's almost like your life group, or you sing on the praise team, or, or you just do something, but you get together and really get to know people. Can I tell you all, we got some really good life groups that aren't even called life groups, but you stay here until we turn the lights off and make you leave. But, but can I tell you what that is? That's intentionally connecting. We love that. Can I tell you what happens? Margo, are you up there? When Margo turns the lights off early, what happens, Margo? I lovingly say, hey, don't do that when people are talking, right? Because we want that. We want people to connect. Lyle's like, am I going to be the guy who has to turn off lights? <laughs> Our youth pastor will stay as long as you need. not but, but here's what I'm saying. Find a way to really connect and really do life with one another so we can love each other as Christ has called us to you here's what I know. This is really hard. Like both of these things, growing in your faith is hard. Why? Because the world's constantly pulling our attention to other places. You're challenged to grow as a man, grow as a woman, grow as a dad, grow as a mom, grow as a friend, grow as an employee, you know. Be a better leader. You got all these things pulling at you, trying to get better, get better, do more, do more. But can I tell you, the first thing you need in your life is to grow in your faith. Growing in love is hard because, well, Sorry to break this to you guys, but we're just not that easy to love. We're all people, and we're messy people, and it's hard to love messy people. But this is what the word calls us to. So here's how I want to encourage you as we wrap this message up today. I want to tell you that gospel growth is really possible. And it's not because of this message, it's not because of Jesus over everything, this cool graphic Jessica made, or the series we're going to preach over the next, no, it's none of that. Can I tell you why change is possible? Because the foundation of all this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if it sounds impossible, can I tell you when they laid Jesus in the grave, they said that was going to be impossible too. But we celebrated last week that what was impossible is possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he stands ready to help us be this church today. But but here's what I want to tell you. You're going to fail if you leave today and say, all right, I'm taking this message to heart. Time to have a growing faith and some growing love. I'm going to do it. You are going to fail. How do you do it? Have you ever seen a fruit tree? Have you ever just watched a fruit tree? Can you see a fruit tree as it's growing fruit? Is it straining? Is it going like, produce an apple? No, like you just, it's in the right place, it's planted by the stream, it's tended to, the soil is right. So here's how I want to encourage you as we end this message. Put the tree of your life where it needs to be so you can be in position to be used by God and changed by God. And that starts with two things. We said get in the word of God so you can grow in knowledge and grace. Get teaching. Come consistently to church so that you can hear the Bible taught. Get in a group where they're talking about the Bible. Find yourself growing in Christ. But secondly, I want to point to what the text actually points to, and that's prayer. Notice the role prayer plays in this. It starts off in verse 3. I thank God every time for you. So basically saying, I'm always praying for you guys. And when I pray, I say, thank you, God, for the church in Colossae. Can I just encourage you if you are praying and if you're not praying, can I just encourage you to pray? <laughs> but but if you're praying, can I just say, pray and say thank you, God, for our church family? Oh, it's so much easier to nitpick all the things that we could and should be doing better. Like there's plenty of things, y'all. It's easy. Rather than criticizing your brothers and sisters, how would your perspective change if every time you started praying, you said, God, thank you for my church? thank you. I'm not saying there's never a time. By the way, we had a fantastic deacons meeting Thursday night where we literally just said, what are some things we can do better? So there's a time to do that. But can I tell you, if you get to that point where all you're doing is nitpicking and criticizing, can I tell you pretty fast, you're going to get to a point where you have to leave and you're going to find some other church that does everything right for about six months until you start nitpicking everything they're doing too. And if you ever find a perfect church, let me just tell you, don't join it or you will ruin it. (laughs) But can I say that warts and all, we can say to God, thank you for this community of faith that is Crossroad. Thank you for our brothers and sisters. Thank you that we get to do church together, that we get to grow in faith, that we get to grow in knowledge and grace and that we get to grow in love for one another day after day after day. But don't stop there. As Paul continued to pray, he prayed that the gospel would continue to bear fruit, that people would be saved in our community, but also that it would bear fruit among us. Pray for one another that God would help us grow in faith and that it would help us grow in love. And by his grace, day after day, we'll see the gospel developing a growing faith and a growing love in his church. I want to invite you to come back next week. Even if you didn't like this message, can you come back next week and we'll keep going. And we're going to see that Paul continues this prayer. In fact, here's the sermon title for next week, Paul's Prayer Requests for the Church. And we're going to continue to see how we can pray for one another as we seek to let the gospel of Jesus Christ form us into his church. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Lord, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for the truth that it brings to us. God, we are thankful for the Bible God, that we can just open it and teach it, and that as we teach it, Lord, you are molding and shaping us into who it is you want us to be. Lord, I want to pray specifically for a couple groups of people. Lord, one one group today who who maybe is here and, and they don't know you yet. like The gospel has never become personal to them. I pray that today, this gospel, the hope that was laid up for us, that... Colossians chapter one talks about would be our hope today that that hope that has been laid up from before the foundations of the world that today God there would be people who would take hold of that gift that is salvation. Lord I also pray for my friends in here who would say well well, I've given my life to Christ but they just would maybe confess today that somewhere along the way they stopped growing. God would you help us to produce a growing faith in our lives again? Would you help us to grow in you and to walk with you in such a way that we're not the same tomorrow that we were today. Help us to grow in faith and to grow in love for one another as we seek to become your church.